It is awesome to be here uh, with you again today. I'm just really excited. And we, like Ryan said, we are in our second week of our movement series and basically just talking through what it means to be a disciple or what it means to disciple more specifically. Um, if, so to give you a kind of a recap of where we've been in the first week, we talked through what discipleship is. In its simplest form, discipleship begins in the home. It is intended to be intimate. It's intended to be something that is deeply personal. And so we talked through uh, the Shema. We used the, the, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as our model of what discipleship looks like. And we talked through the different elements that Moses knew that mattered in pointing people towards a loving God and a very real relationship with him. And so if you missed the message, if you, if you missed any part of that, that was, on our, that was on Mother's Day. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and check it out and, and, and see that. Uh, today, um, as we move on, um, what is it about yawns that, that when you see someone yawn, like there's this, this reaction that kind of comes up, like I just watched someone in the back just yawn and it like caught me off guard. And now here I am trying, I have it like somewhere right around here that I'm trying everything that I can not to look silly up here. But there's something about yawns, right? They're like, there's something about it. You see it or, or even if you, you read the word or hear the word, like it creates this reaction inside of you. There was this belief that it, it has been around for a while that um, if you see someone yawn, then you yawn. And they, they believed that it was something to do with empathy. How? I have no idea how that's connected. But, but there was this belief that it's because of empathy. You, the, the empathy cause of you yawn, then I'm going to yawn because I'm, I'm feeling empathetic. And I, I, I don't get it. But, but that, that theory has recently been debunked. And they said, well, it, it may not be just that, but there has to be something to it because I just watched someone yawn and then I fought the urge to yawn. And, and, and now we're talking about it. And as I'm talking about it, you all are struggling to not yawn also. Not all of you. Now, I've said yawn a few times, and I've watched a few of you yawn, and I have to believe that from the deep place within me that you're not already bored two minutes into this message. At least I hope. But Duke University, they, 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 uh, they did a, a research study not too terribly long ago that says that there are some words or actions that when they are read, heard, or seen, they, can cre- they create this contagious-like reaction. And yawn is one of those words. It's called, it's known as the contagious yawn effect. The contagious yawn effect. And and whatever the cause of it, it does beg this question within me of what are some of those other words? What are some other things that, that, that can be categorized within this contagious yawn effect? effect category. And so we're talking through that. And so as we move on, I'm going to tell you kind of where we're going and and, and then we'll spend the rest of the time just kind of getting us there. So if you're taking notes, if that's kind of your thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The gospel you preach or the gospel you live determines the disciples you make. The gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. If you think of it like this, like in, like in business, if, if, if you want to be a company known for having an excellent customer service, if, if you want to be known for that, then, then it starts at the top. Like you're going you're, you're gonna to reflect that as the leader. And then your, your disciples or your employees, they're going to live this out. And it's this cause and effect type of thing. And so you want your people, your employees to promote the same level of excellence that you do. 
And we have companies like Starbucks or Chick-fil-A that, that I mean, they really have showed us how, how effective this really is. The Starbucks, Starbucks experience. They've made it possible not just to make a great cup of coffee, but they also showed the importance of how their employees knowing your name how them remembering what kind of coffee you like to drink or how many pumps of whatever it is that you enjoy. Like they, they remember these things. And then they, they even go as far as knowing what kind of things that you're interested in. And because of doing that, just, I mean, just because of, of that level of excellence, it has radically transformed the coffee world. And then you have Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, believe it or not, is more than just the original chicken sandwich. It is a place where it is very literally their, their pleasure <laughs> to serve you. It is literally their pleasure. And so um, one of the things that I like to do, and I don't know if this is fair or unfair, but I like to go to Chick-fil-A and like when they hand me something, instead of saying thank you because they, they have to say like it's my pleasure or whatever afterwards, I like to say things different and just throws them through a loop. And so if you're at Chick-fil-A this week, you should find creative ways to say thank you without saying thank you. It's really funny. Um, but, but anyways, the, the, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. Jesus tells you in Matthew, he tells us in Matthew to go and make disciples. But what does that mean for us as a church, right? What does that mean for us as, as the church? Is it an individual command or is it bigger than that? And I, ha- I have to believe that it's bigger than something that someone else is doing. I believe that each of us have been hardwired for discipleship. God has placed this this immense desire within us to create and replicate. And far too often, churches are trying to create and replicate things that are just versions of the thing that God has called us to. In the story of Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, um, we, we see this. And I'll, I'll, I'll save you the details because there's a few weeks we walked through it. And so if you're like, well, I don't know that story. Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago. And so go to our website. Check it out. Um, it's, re- it's really great. Um, but in the story, Jesus is talking with this woman. And he's saying some pretty hard things to her. He, like, he, he's being painfully real to this woman and, and, and saying some things that, that, that could be hurtful or even offensive. But... Somehow this woman knew that it came from a deep place of deep love. Somehow she, she was able to, to, to realize that there was something different. Like Jesus had probably never been to this city before. And she may have never even heard, heard of Jesus. But somehow she realized that there was something different about this man and the things that he was saying to her. And so while they were sitting there talking, the disciples, Jesus' his, his crew, they, they go into the town to go get some supplies and go, get, go find the things to take care of different things. I don't know, maybe they were going to get some crafts for something like for their next stop. I, I, I don't know what it was, but they were going into the town to get the work. And then when Jesus' followers, his, his disciples, when they, when they come back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And their hands are full of things. And the woman, she, she puts down her, her, her water jar and she runs into the town to say, come and see this man who told me everything that I've ever done. The disciples return to town with the work, with the stuff. But this woman, she returned to town with the town. And for too long now, the church has supplemented making disciples 
with making followers. And here's what I mean by that. A follower is a, a follower is a follower of Jesus. They listen to the things that he said and they learn the things that, 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 that he was about and they believe in his message and all of that stuff. But a disciple is a follower of Jesus who then goes and does the things of Jesus. But we believe so often that as soon as we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus that it just stops and we just kind of cruise from there. But really, that's where it begins. That's where everything starts. And that helps us make sense of everything that's going on in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus says to go and to make disciples. And so let's read this. Matthew 28 verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In this passage, there's a very clear command to go and make. It's not just a hey, if you have nothing else that's going on in your life, or if you're not too busy this weekend, we would encourage you to do this. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's a command. Go and make disciples. This is a new way of thinking, a new way of living. It is something that is much, much more than that. And next week, we're going to really unpack this and what it means and what that looks like. And so uh, make sure you're here next week because it's not just for the people who claim to be followers. This, this is about disciple-making. A follower absorbs a disciple of disciples. I read an article this week by Carrie Newhoff where it says that the American church is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. The American church is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. And Paul, Paul says it like this. He says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. And whether we like them or not, millennials are rapidly leaving the church. Rapidly leaving the church right now. And there was a a recent study that came out that says 20% of people 30 and under believe attending church is not important or worthwhile. And what if it has less to do with the the, the message of the gospel and the reality of Jesus in their life and more to do with, with the idea that they just aren't seeing or experiencing what being a part of a real community could look like? What if they're not leaving because they've turned their backs on Jesus, but they've turned their backs on religion? What if... What if they only needed someone from the next stage of life to show them what really walking with Jesus looks like? That it's more like a relationship than it is a religion. In Donald Miller's book, Father Fiction, he talks about the incredible need for disciples in a roundabout way. He, he, he watched this documentary on elephants, and that helped him understand discipleship. And so the, the, the documentary was talking about how these, these mother elephants, mama elephants, they, they, they have babies every two years. And in that two-year window, they are like their baby elephant or baby elephant is, is their sole focus. Like anything that this baby elephant needs, whether it's food or protection or shelter or, or, or wisdom, I mean, anything, whatever it is, they are the, the, like that baby is the primary focus of this baby elephant. 
And then when they start their adolescence, they, they, the, the males, they grow up and they begin adolescence to kind of go and find a new herd. But this time, the, the, these, these male elephants, as they reach adolescence, they begin something known as a muth's cycle. And it's a confusing time for these, for these young male elephants. There's a time where all sorts of different hormone changes and chemical changes, all, all of these things are taking place within the elephant. And there's this green pus that runs down the back legs of the elephant. And they can become aggressive during this time. And the cycle typically lasts just a couple of days. Typically. But sometimes it can go on for a little bit longer, whether it's a few days or a few weeks or whatever. But with all of the hormones and the anger that's going on inside of these elephants during this time, like it can be, and you accompany that with the strength of these things, like it could be a very dangerous time. And this green smell has a very, dis, or this, the green bus has a very distinct smell to it. And its purpose, look at this, its purpose, the purpose of this sneaky green stuff is to alert older male elephants that there is a young male elephant in need of wisdom and guidance and direction. It's in need of a tribe. And as soon as these young male elephants find an older, wiser elephant to invest in them, the cycle ends almost immediately. And so it makes me wonder, like, could this happen with humans? Is this, is, is, is this something that happens with humans? And like, like if you, if, if, I mean, maybe it doesn't, all, like maybe they're not all stinky, but like if you've been around middle school boys that have not found the beauty of deodorant, you know that there's probably some truth to this. Like maybe God created them to stink for a reason. But it does, it does make me wonder. Hypothetically, of course. What if we took the words of Jesus seriously? And we truly began to disciple people. It makes me wonder if the mass exodus of, this, of the millennials and the generations younger, it makes me wonder if that would stop. If maybe these, um, these overprivileged and undereducated millennials, may, maybe maybe they would stop leaving the church. Maybe they would look at the world a little bit different. And why do I think that? Well, because just like the word yawn, discipleship is one of those words that is contagious. I mean, if you think about it, like, like any time that you hear the word discipleship, like something wells up inside of you, right? You're like, oh man, that, that's cool, yeah, yeah. And when you see it happening, you're motivated. Like when you see a really good discipling relationship, like you're motivated to do it yourself. And then when, when, when you experience it, you are forever changed. True discipleship isn't measured by how many you disciple, but how many those you disciple, disciple. In that article on millennials, I was talking about like one of the greatest reasons that they listed as to why they're leaving the church is because they'd rather be discipled than preached at. They're leaving the church because they would rather have someone disciple them than talk to them. And the, in the article, it says, preaching just doesn't reach our generation like our parents and grandparents. See millennial church attendance. 
We have millions of podcasts and YouTube videos of pastors the world over at our fingertips. For that reason, the currency of good preaching is at its lowest value in history. Millennials crave relationship, to have someone walking beside them through the muck. We are the generation with the highest ever percentage of fatherless homes. And we're looking for mentors who are authentically invested in our lives and our future. If we don't have real people who actually care about us, why not just listen to a sermon from the couch with the ecstasy of donuts and sweatpants? So what do we do about that? I, I hate as much as the next person with someone to, to just present problems, right, and then not have any follow-through. Like, I, I hate that just as much as... The next person, like just the other day, Maggie comes up and she's like, Maggie, she's four. She says, Daddy, the grass is long. And I'm like, well, go cut it. I don't, I, and, and so those of you that are parents, like when do kids start pulling their own weight around the house? Like when, when can I, like, I don't know, legally, when can I legally have my daughter start mowing the, the yard? But here are some thoughts. And as, as I'm kind of sharing some of these thoughts, like I want you to be, be thinking of these things as well, because what I do know is that while the ones that I list may not be something that you're interested in, there are things that you've been hardwired for, and maybe it'll spark something. And so, as I'm speaking or as I'm talking through this, like take your own notes. But the first thing is serve in the next generation ministry. Serve here within River Club Church in our next generation ministry. There are people, there are students and children here right now that that they just need the consistency of an adult in their life. They just need someone who they can count on that's going to be there and say, you know what, like, like I'm here for you regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's happening, I'm going to be here for you. I say this all the time to my volunteers and to, to, to our kids club leaders and student life leaders. I tell them all the time that, that kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You could know everything in the whole world. Everything, I mean, that's a lot. You could know everything in the whole world, but unless, you, unless that child knows that they matter to you, it's irrelevant. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So find a place to serve in our, in our next generation ministry. The second, launch a life group. Stop waiting for us to launch these groups for you to join. But maybe, maybe if you're an older gentleman like who's, who... Maybe you find a group of, of, of 20s and 30s and you, you encourage them, you invest in them, you disciple them. Take, take a small group of dudes and just take them out to IHOP or something and just meet with them and invest in them and let them know that they matter. If you're, if, if you're a lady, we have incredible women's groups right now. Join a group or start another group of the ones that we have. If they don't work for you, start your own group, but find a way to invest in that next generation. In the third way is become a breakfast or a lunch buddy. We have a partnership, a really awesome partnership with Cedar Forest Elementary, and they have, they have kids there for breakfast and for lunch who, who they've made it available for us just to come and hang out with those kids. If, if, if you wanna go and just spend some time with a child that would radically transform not just their day, but it could transform everything for them. We have a way to do that for you. And you're just having lunch with them, just letting them know that they, that they matter. And so I know that in this room right now, you're thinking of some other things and you're like, man, there are some really cool things that I can do. And maybe, maybe for a long time, God has been doing something inside of you and like moving and, and kind of stirring and you're not really sure what it is, but, but maybe right now is the time for you to move forward with that. 
figure it out. Figure it out what it is that God has hardwired you for because discipleship is one of those contagious words. And when we do it, the world will take notice. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about, right? Like it's almost like, 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 like Jesus, he, he had an idea. Like maybe this will work. And so we need to do it. We need to pursue it. It's maybe why he called us salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's instructing them on what it means to follow this new way. And so often when we look at the story of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, like we, we believe that, that Jesus is talking to this massive group of people. But what if he was talking to his disciples, to, to his people, in front of this massive group of people, almost for like accountability, saying, you disciples, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it looks like to follow me. This, this, is the, the, this is the mark of being a disciple. And what if he's saying those things in front of the rest of the crowd for them to have just an understanding of what that means or what it looks like? And so he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So we get the what at the end of Matthew. The, the, the what? Go and make disciples. Go do this. And in the beginning of it, we see the purpose. We see, we, we, we see, we, we see why. We see we, why we need to go and what that, mean, what that looks like. And so Jesus uses these two very common everyday items to tell his people what it is that we're supposed to do, what's expected of us. He uses salt and light. There's something, it's not something that's out there. It's not something that's just like this distant idea, but it's something that we can feel and see and taste and touch every single day. And Jesus is giving this to his disciples. He's giving them a very tangible picture of what it means to be one of his disciples. Salt. A little bit, a little ingredient. Just a little bit. You can add just the, the tiniest bit of salt to any type of a meal or dish or whatever. And it takes the meal, it takes this dish from being bland and boring to mouthwatering and light. Just like salt, it has the ability to transform anything and everything around it. When there's a, a, a dark space or a dark void, putting some light in that, it radically transforms that entire environment. And darkness has a way of masking things, of, of, of making it difficult to see clearly. But as soon as you put some light in there, it exposes everything. You were able to see things that were once hidden from you. So it's no wonder that Jesus took these two items to explain what his kingdom is like. We've been created to be flavorers and lighters. We've been charged with going and making. Discipleship is an action word, a word that generates a response from us. It, 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 it creates something for us to do because we've all been hardwired to do it. And I think, and I, like, 
I really think that the Western church, that, that we believe that returning with the supplies is good enough. We believe returning with just the work, like that, that, that's good enough. That's, that's okay. Like I'll, I'll just do exactly what I, what's asked of me and, and, and nothing more. Or maybe we've fallen into this idea of I'll just write another check for it and let someone else figure it out. But I have to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth more than any dollar amount you can give. I have, I, I, I have to believe that. And I fear that, that the church is, is, is just a few years from being irrelevant if we cannot figure out how to disciple and how to train up this next generation of Christ-centered leaders. And so today, to kind of wrap us all up and um, to, 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 to close us out, I want us to look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy really quick. And to look at these three very distinct phases on their journey together. Paul recognized that there needed to, his need to not just have people that he's pouring into, but that he needed to be poured into as well. And we see this, like in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. And so Paul recognized that it's not enough just to have someone investing in him, but he needed to invest out as well. There was this massive importance of making sure that the gospel that he was preaching matched that of Christ. And so these three things, these, these three phases, the first one was parenthood. Paul took Timothy under his wing. And in 1 Timothy, he actually called Timothy his true son in the faith. And he owned that relationship. And he was going to do whatever it took, whatever it meant. Like He was going to make sure that Timothy was equipped. And he was going to own that. And the second thing, pace set. It's the idea of follow me as I follow Christ. You've seen how I live. You've seen how I do things. Now just follow me. Walk with me. For us, inviting someone in to be a part of the story, to, to, to just show them what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus, allowing them to, to come after you. Like that, that, you have no idea what's happening on the inside of people. You don't know what, what it is that they're dealing with. And so just letting them know that they matter, that their story matters, that could change everything. And the third thing, the third phase is partnering. In Romans 16, 21, Paul calls, calls Timothy his co-laborer, his partner. Timothy has gone from being a son to a student and now a partner. And we spend so much time thinking about and talking about or, or, or praying for, for the next person to come and, and, and start this new ministry or begin this new thing or whatever. But, but what, if, what if the next leader for the Big C Church, what if that person was already here and they just needed someone to invest in them? What, 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 if, what if the next person, the next Billy Graham even, what if the next person to... to, to to move the church forward? What if that person just needs someone to invest in them? To, to go before them and to, to say, hey, I'm going to invite you in on my story. I'm going to invite you into something that's better. So, River Club Church, will we take serious the call that we've been given to go and make disciples? Will we take serious this charge to, to be disciplers? Will we take this serious? 
in my bed. I believe that all that, with all that I have within me, that the unchurched generation, when they taste and see, when they experience the light, that things would radically transform, that lives would radically transform, that, 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 that churches would be radically transformed. I have to believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so will you join me? Will, 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 you, will you take this call serious? To make this more than just one more Sunday morning message on discipleship, but will you make this, will you take this serious to actually do what Jesus is asking us to do? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much just for who you are and for what you're about. And I thank you for choosing people like us to advance your kingdom, to show the world who you, about who you are and about your love and about your grace. God, I thank you that you would think about us. God, I pray for our church right now in this moment. God, I, I, I pray that, that we would be serious about pursuing you. God, I pray that we would be serious about um, pulling people in on the story and, 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 and discipling them and, and showing them what it means and what it looks like to be your, your followers. God, I love you so much. And I just thank you for all that you're doing and for who you are. It's in your matchless name that we pray. Amen.